Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, your problem is branding. I'm joined by a return guest, Mav, and his co-host from the Vox podcast, Hannah, to discuss the big ideas of Hawkeye Episode 2, Hide and Seek. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by purchasing There Was an Idea merchandise from Spring. Link is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am joined by two special guests. Both are people I've had the pleasure to work with on their show, The Vox Popcast, and they are here with me today to discuss Hawkeye Episode 2. First is return guest, pop culture scholar, Christopher Maverick. Mav has been on the show twice before, first to discuss an episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and then for our conversation about the emerging themes of Phase 4 in August earlier this year. Mav, welcome back. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome. I'm welcoming you to your show. Also, it's weird that I've only been here twice because like um like like I talk I, I talk to podcasts a lot. Like I you know, I know you and, and like I hear you talk, you know, I hear the show every week and I'm like, no, I was on last week talking about episode one. No, I wasn't there. That was just you. Oh, okay. Well, let me tell you, I had the same thought when I was uh thinking through my intros for today. I was like, has Mav really only been on the show twice? Because we've talked a number of times you know, right. <laughs> off podcast and on your show as well. And uh, believe me, I've also been there where I've been welcoming somebody to their own show. <laughs> Thank you for being here. And joining Mav today is a new guest to the show, one of his Fox podcast co-hosts and someone who, like me, I recently found out really enjoyed Eternals. It's Hannah. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, the Eternals is probably the best MCU thing of the year. I'll just, you know, start being controversial from the moment I step in. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing in the hot takes already. You will fit right in. I I have listeners who are always eager, eager for some hot takes. And that's a very welcome take here on There Was an Idea because I'm very pro-Eternals, as as you know, from our most recent conversation over at Vox Popcast. For anybody who doesn't know, if we have some new listeners out there who've tuned in for Hawkeye, what is Vox Popcast all about? Well, you know, it changes. Um, we we broadly are a uh, pop culture podcast uh, with drinking and swearing, and how much drinking and swearing is very dependent on the episode. To be <laughs> honest, um, we uh, the the show um, you don't need to listen to it in any particular order. Just we we come up with a topic, and that's ranged from things like uh, board games that tackle empire to cheesy Christmas movies. And, and we just, you know, talk for about an hour with guests, um, and our co-hosts, um, of which there are three more, um, each week. And we just have fun and had think thoughts. Um, uh, Mav, I guess you would say it's like the academic conference, but like not the boring part, the part that's like the fun at the bar after the end. Yep, it's, it's, it's hanging out at the bar after after the geeky conference, or as um, Marone, one of our one of our semi regular guests, because it, it's the really geeky version of the View. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know if I should be insulted by that or not. No, he mean, he means it lovingly. He he he, he very much. So. <laughs> well, one of the things that you guys do touch on over there now and again, and I've been lucky enough to be part of a couple of these conversations, is the MCU. And Hannah, as a new guest here 
on There Was an Idea, I have to ask you my new guest question, which is what is your relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? So I, my, my love for the MCU was, I think, predetermined because one of my earliest memories, like I, I legit was like somewhere between four and six was I was in love with the animated Spider-Man series that came on in the 90s. And I was angry that I had to miss an episode because my parents wouldn't leave me at home for some strange reason as like a four to six year old. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, religiously followed everything Spider-Man and read as much Spider-Man as I could. And then uh, went and saw Iron Man because this was the next best thing towards Spider-Man. And then, you know, stuck around until Spider-Man showed up because I was sure he one day would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Matt, Matt is laughing, but this is actually pretty much true. This is not really an exaggeration. Um, and, and then, you know, fell in love with characters that I did not even know or care about, um, originally like the Eternals. And now I relentlessly analyze them as part of my life. <laughs> Wonderful. You'll fit right in here. <laughs> And Mav, you've talked about your long history with Marvel Comics and the MCU on the show mm -hmm. before, but something I'm curious to hear more about now that we are approaching the end of 2021, the year that brought us the MCU's official foray into TV series storytelling, is your thoughts specifically on the Disney Plus series so far. We've seen WandaVision, we've seen Falcon, Loki, What If, we're two episodes into Hawkeye. So mm -hmm. reflecting on what we've seen on Disney Plus so far, what would you say makes a successful MCU series for you? And is there something different that you're looking for in a series as opposed to an MCU movie? I'm still figuring it out. Um, I... I think on your show where we talked about, you know, the phase four so far, I, I, I talked about how I... I, I feel like it's uh, it's unfair to judge Marvel anything at this point the way I would a normal movie because mm -hmm. because if I if I do then I have to point out that Endgame is a horrible movie there's no there's no beginning to it it's just you know it, it starts in Act Three and it's a very confusing movie if it's the first one you you've ever saw though a friend of mine did go watch it her and her son went and they're like oh we want to go to the movies and they and they they went and they loved it and it's like how how did you understand anything they're like oh well, you know they, she thought it was pretty straightforward but I just I find it hard to like view things that way so if I look at these MCU shows as just the continuation of the ongoing MCU epic I'm really really liking stuff um otherwise I end up getting frustrated about the fact that you know like like Loki just sort of ends in mid cliffhanger you know which right. which TV shows do I get you know but it's but it feels weirder than than an episode of I don't know uh Dallas when I'm when just wondering who shot JR then it, it feels, you know, that's the dated reference. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels weirder that um, on MCU than it does than it does on a classic TV show in some weird way because because there is a next episode, but we're not getting to the cliffhanger part for who knows how long, if ever, right? Like, you know, Hannah talked about the Eternals and the Eternals didn't do great at the box office, right? So are we going to find out what happened to, you know, the Eternals who got like, I don't know, raptured or not. I mean, I hope so. Yeah, yeah we're we're definitely gonna find out. Like, come on. Like, I mean, yeah, it's, sure. it's not, yeah. It, like, but when I can't tell yeah. you. Oh well, I can't tell you. Oh, I'm gonna know in September, next September. It's just like it's gonna be like 
Um, I don't know, maybe in a year, maybe in three years, maybe in 10. Uh, we'll get to it. Maybe. I mean, like, <laughs> yes, but also like, but, you know, it feels like most of like phase four, it's like they're setting up a lot of things. Like, like it feels uh-huh. like, I mean, we, we lost a year because of the pandemic. But if you look at the list of movies specifically, most of them, it feels like they're either sequels, yes, but also like a lot of like setup for like things that are new or like it, like like they're bringing more characters to the table mm-hmm. or wrapping things up, like like Fantastic Four. I, I think I'm, I'm thinking about Fantastic. Like I feel like whatever is happening with the Celestials, I guess I basically am thinking about the Celestials. Whatever's happening with the Celestials, like we're not going to know anything more about that to like Fantastic Four. And I could just be wrong about that, but I. I don't know. It just, it feels like there's a lot of moving pieces where they're either wrapping things up or they're like doing a lot of setup for like whatever's mm-hmm. next or, but you know, you could, you could and who knows when fantastic four is. Yeah. It's, it's just weird. I don't think it's bad is what I was getting at. I think it's, it's just, it, I, I'm enjoying the ride enough that it's not like I'm going to stop watching Hawkeye after this episode and, and you know, <laughs> and it's not like I'm going to skip Ms. Marvel or, or, or Echo, or I don't even remember what's next after Hawkeye. Uh, I think Ms. Marvel's next. She-Hawk. I'm really excited about She-Hawk. Oh, yeah. Um, but um, Moon Knight, like, I'm going to watch all of them. So I guess they have me. Y- yay. <laughs> well, one of the things I think that you're both kind of uh, touching on is this idea that the MCU creates these opportunities, it seems, you know, that this Hawkeye series is billed as a Kevin Feige production, reminding us very much about Kevin Feige's role here as as an orchestrator of sorts. And it seems like what they have done, because this has worked out for them in the past, is they leave these doors open. And as you said, it may be in a few months, it may be in a few years that we'll see some of these threads continue, but the option is there. And there's a bunch of different, you know, directions that they could go through with these open doors that they have. And I think some of the Disney Plus series that we have seen have been evidence of of them making use of that. Who would have thought when Wanda and Pietro were introduced in Age of Ultron that there would be a WandaVision show, for example? So I think that we're going to kind of see that continue into, into the future as well. And I, for one, like you, I'm very excited to see where this is all going to go. But I think it also means that if you are in and out of this world or if there are, is a particular corner of this world that resonates with you, like let's say, for example, the Celestials uh, is something that is really, really getting you getting you jazzed, it might be a while before you see that come back into the picture because there's mm-hmm. there's, there's the multiverse story and then there's like more of the street level stories and then there are all of these new characters introduced and these old characters that we're spending time with. So I think it's uh it's Disney Plus has been an interesting arena for some of this kind of bridge storytelling to to play out. But I'm curious, you know, for for both of you which of the Disney Plus series so far this year have worked for you more than those that have not worked for you? What What are the hits and what are the misses? None of them have missed for me. I, I've I've enjoyed every single one. I mean, I I think WandaVision is still my favorite because I found WandaVision innovative. But I like weekly. I looked forward to Loki every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, I I looked forward to What If every single time, even though like mm-hmm. uh, that's the one that seem pe- people seem to be the most lukewarm on, just from my completely unscientific sort of you know 
observing the ether out there. Um, but I liked it. I, I was excited to see where they went every every week. Um, and Hawkeye, you know, we're only two episodes in, and it was just all one week. But I, I thought it was great. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy with what we've gotten so far. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, I would add, though, that I, I think I think that WandaVision was maybe the most consistently satisfying across the board. Um, but with WandaVision and also the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I've probably complained about this um, on our show before, there were a couple of moments where you could tell something like had been off perhaps because of COVID. And I think mm. they've even oh, said yeah. that things have been um, affected by COVID. Like, um, you know, Karen. Cat- yeah, yeah, like everything was Sharon and Kat Dinning just like disappears in the final <laughs> yes. one episode. Yes. Um, and I, you know, I, I'll say I think that maybe the, like I think the Falcon and the War Soldier might have been the most politically um, ambitious of them, and I kind of wish they'd spent more time in the world thinking through um, things and some of the resolution or lack thereof wasn't as satisfying for me, but that doesn't that critique doesn't make it a bad show or doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. Um, I just kind of wish there was more. And I also, I kind of wish that like that kind of storytelling and that kind of um, like stakes and, and seeing how the world has fallen apart had translated a bit more to the films. <laughs> I didn't actually realize until like someone else pointed this out on the internet that Shang-Chi took place after the snap and everything that had happened and in the aftermath because it, it didn't feel like People were going through much, except for the fact that there was dialogue where people were like, I went through something. It, it's, it's, it's hard. It's mentioned twice. It's mentioned yeah. twice in the movie and like yeah. super, super in passing. It's like, oh yeah, I remember that time. I, I think I said this on, on an episode of, of, of your show before, Tara. There was a point where it, like I live on the planet Earth in real life where 20 years later, people still frequently with relative, not every day anymore, but with relative frequency, we still mention September 11th. Like it changed the way life is, right? And yet, you know, they live in a world where aliens invaded New York and that should be the only thing anybody ever talks about ever. And then they they live in a world where half the world disappeared and then came back for five years there should be religions devoted to this. Mm. Like it should be, it should be like, like it should be seriously a a topic of conversation that um, the ramifications in, in Falcon and Winter Soldier, those make sense to me in a way that the ramifications in Shang-Chi where it's like, eh, you know, whatever. (laughs) Like I would believe that there'd be more than just Thanos was was right written on a toilet. Yeah, I, I think that what you're getting at is interesting here, too. And I do think that the one of the benefits to the TV series format and one of the things that has been a marker of, of a successful Disney Plus MCU series for me so far has been the ability or I guess the opportunity and then taking the opportunity to spend some more time and fleshing out those parts of the world and something like Shang-Chi, a two and a half hour movie. I think they just chose to not... It was part of the backdrop. It wasn't too much part of the backdrop. And they kind of chose to just not focus on it because there was so much other story to tell in establishing Shang-Chi and his world and his allies and enemies and so forth. Whereas in a show like Falcon Winter Soldier and even in Hawkeye, there's a little bit more time to to dig into 
this uh, this landscape that these people are living in. And that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the first episode of Hawkeye was exploring a little bit more about Clint's relationship to New York. And uh, let's let's talk about Hawkeye now. So in general terms, we'll start with you, Mav, because I know you were a, a Hawkeye fan going in. Mm-hmm. What were you expecting going into the series? And did the first two episodes live up to those expectations? Well, in in reverse order, yes, they lived up to the expectations, I guess, because I was expecting I was expecting this, but um, I thought it would be more Clint focused. And I like Katie, so I so having I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Hawkeye series and the Matt Fraction series. So um, to me, there's Hawk Guy, which is what Grills, who's a major <laughs> character, calls calls, Hawk, calls Clint calls him Hawk Guy, and then um, you know Hawkeye Katie, which is what um, kids that are not going to appear in the series called Kate. And I, I expected it to be more about Clint since he's the one that we know than it was going to be about Kate. And I feel like she's been the main character so far, mm-hmm. which I'm okay with. Uh, I, and I like their interplay. Um, it can't be, it can't be the fraction series in the fraction series. Hawkeye is a, is a, bachelor who's had a million failed relationships who can't get he can't get a shit together all he can do is be a superhero and everything else screws up and you know he wants a family life he wants that he wants relationships he's got that in the mcu so he can't be that guy right. so i like seeing jeremy renner's hawkeye go through essentially the same situation you know he says he's a lot of this is what you know what i expect out of the fraction series um i like seeing jeremy renner hawkeye go through and try to deal with the tracksuit mafia and he's a different guy. Um, and then Kate is in many ways, she's very much, um, what, um, what Kate in the comics is, if anything, she's, she's slightly less competent, which, um, I, I can see how some people might be annoyed by that, but also cause she's like, she's way more competent than Clint in the comics. Um, but like now she, uh, her version, you know, MCU Kate seems to adopt, some of comic Clint's mannerisms in a way that um that comic Kate doesn't. So I, I'm enjoying it. I like what I like where we're at. And Hannah, I'm curious, what were your feelings about Hawkeye in the MCU before the show premiered? So I, I guess, you know, uh for the listeners, um I'm not a Hawkeye comics expert. And um to answer your question, Hawkeye is the Avenger I've cared about the least. I mean, I think I think part of that clearly comes from when we watched the original Avengers film, he is, you know, mind-controlled throughout most of it and barely does anything. And I it's not it's not Hawkeye's fault, but I I was furious <laughs> during Endgame and both of you've heard before about how they positioned Clint versus Natasha and like basically we were like you have a family Clint you are more important than me I shall die now and then they didn't even give her a proper funeral and whatever and it's bridging and I'm not over it but whatever mm-hmm. um so I was I was you know curious about the show uh because I knew that Mav and um one of our other co-hosts on Fox Papcast love uh the comic book Hawkeye um but I didn't particularly have a attachment to the character minus some you know like nice scenes with him and natasha not that one but other nice (laughs) scenes throughout the mcu um and and, you know things like that so um 
I was, I was, I was interested in the show, but I was, you know, I think I was kind of detached from Hawkeye in a way that I am not detached from say Spider-Man. So mm-hmm. I, you know, didn't have any like preconceived notions of, Oh, this better happen going in. Um, it was more of a, let's see what they do. And I have been pleasantly um, surprised. And also like, I saw the Disney plus preview that they released for like Disney plus day. Mm-hmm. And I saw like some Christmas trees in the background and I was like, wait a minute, is this Disney's version of Die Hard?" And, <laughs> and like, that is a, also a, a questionable question for me to ask because I, I finally saw Die Hard like this past year, but I oh slept God, for like really? half of it. Yeah. But I slept for oh, half God. of it. Oh, and geez. the part I was awake for, I didn't super enjoy. So like, <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm just coming in with all of the disappointing takes. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, it's set at Christmas, so that's exciting. Because, you know, uh, something Fox Popcast listeners know is that Mav and I are obsessed with, like, cheesy Christmas, Christmas stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and only us, by the way. So if you're listening to our show, if you, if you tune into our show... Um, uh, actually, our newest host, um, co-host, will probably be joining us for our Christmas. Usually, every year there's a Christmas episode that's just me and Hannah because our, our other co-hosts <laughs> refuse to come because <laughs> they, they won't watch our really bad Hallmark movies um, that we love. Well, I remember last um, time I was on, you guys mentioned the Princess Switch, the the most recent oh, one, so which I oh, still yes. haven't seen. So <laughs> I'll <have to> check <laughs> that out. The most recent Princess Switch is a heist movie, by the way. Oh, <laughs> so so well, for, for UMCU fans, that's great. Speaking of, this isn't just um, this Hawkeye is not. I mean, yes, I see that there is some um, Die Hard to it, and and Hannah's wrong. If you haven't seen Die Hard, it's it's, it's amazing. You should watch it. But it's not it's not just Die Hard. It's also um, everything Shane Black. Shane Black. Mm. All Shane Black movies happen at Christmas. They're all. Um, and they they tend to very much be essentially buddy cop movies um, that happen at Christmas, uh, and and that's I mean they're not always cops. There it, it could be a heist movie. It could be, um, it, it, but it, it, for all intents and purposes, every Shane Black movie is a is a buddy cop movie that happens at Christmas, and they're all very much like this. I feel like they're intentionally drawing on on the Shane Black filmography. Um, uh, Iron Man three yeah, is present here. <laughs> yeah, Iron. Oh, yeah, Iron Man three definitely counts. I forgot. I, I forgot he did a uh, an MCU movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, Iron Man three definitely a Shane Black film. <laughs> well, on Wednesday, November twenty fourth, Disney Plus dropped not one but two episodes of Hawkeye, and I already discussed episode one in a bit more detail in episode six point one of the podcast. So today we'll focus our conversation mostly on episode two, while noting that, of course, they did arrive as a a Christmas package deal of sorts. And so I do think we'll be touching on both in this conversation today. But speaking in general terms, it seems like both of you have enjoyed the first two episodes. Is there anything that you picked out as being distinct to episode two in contrast to episode one, or do they feel very much of the same piece to you guys? I can I can see why they released them together um, because I, I I went back and watched I, I did prepare for this um, I say as as if I you know I'm getting a test um, I, I watched <laughs> I watched season uh, episode two alone because we binge watched the first two and they came out and like I see why they released them together because the first one like is really like Kate's doing her thing Hawkeye's doing his thing and then you know episode two is when they really meet and you mm-hmm. see them interact for the first time which I thought was delightful. Um, 
I feel like we haven't gotten this like many of these like in-depth mentor mentee relationships before mm-hmm. spider-man aside which i have feelings about i'll save for not this episode because <laughs> that's not what we're doing today um but it also like seemed like i i know that like we usually like, you usually talk about a big idea and i don't want to skip ahead but it really felt like this was very centered around like fandom mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm like people wanting to be heroes and having a hero experience, which I mean, seems like it might be a big thing throughout the show. Cause like the first scene of episode one is like the flashback to New York. And at the very end, little Kate is like, I want a bow. Yeah. So it's definitely, it, it's definitely heading up, but I can, I can see why like, it's kind of like WandaVision. Like there are a couple of episodes that you kind of need to like sort of set up what's happening next. For me, I I'm loving it. I I'm glad we are we're doing two and not one. I enjoyed episode one, but what Hannah just said, episode one is very much a here's what Kate's life is before she meets Clint. Here's what Clint's life is before she meets Kate, before right. he meets Kate, and they meet in the last ten seconds. Um, one thing that I was worried about for um for the show is in the comics. I mean, yes, I guess Clint is her mentor in a way, but really they're just good friends. Like he's, um, she, she, she's not his sidekick and she never has been in the comics. Um, when she becomes Hawkeye in the comics at the, when she first becomes a character, uh, Clint was thought dead. He was dead. He was gone. So she was sort of replacing him. Then when he comes back, um, she, she's like, Oh, I guess you want to be Hawkeye again. And he's like, no, we can both be Hawkeye. And they've just been friends ever since. Like that's how that's how the uh, that's how the the comic you know portrays their relationship. So when the series was called Hawkeye, it is very clearly referring to both Clint and Kate. Um, and he very much doesn't treat her ever as an underling. Um, in fact, every time you know the other Avengers are like, you know, your sidekick called, and he's like, "What sidekick? I don't have a kite sidekick." And she's like, "You know, the the girl." And he's like, "Oh." Kate, you do you mean? As and he's really not sure. He's not being like Natasha says that calls her calls her his side, and he's really not sure who he's talking about, who she's talking about. Um, so I like that their relationship was always very much as equals. Mm-hmm. Um, page twenty one of issue two of Hawkeye by Fraction Naha is one of the best comic book pages ever ever drawn. It's it's just Clint and Kate talking on the phone to each other. It's two heads going back and forth for like 30 panels. It's brilliant. Um, I've taught it in classes, so I know it off the top of my head. (laughs) I'm I'm not that cool for your listeners to where I just know like randomly. (laughs) But but, but yeah, that it is it is one page that is just them talking about, you know, how they're going to deal with the tracksuit mafia and also their relationship. And then Clint says to Kate, um, you know, you know, the best thing about our relationship is that I don't want to sleep with you. And then he hangs up the phone and then she's so pissed at him. Not because she <laughs> wants to sleep with him. She knows that he's like 30 or 20, 30 years older than, than she's not interested in him that way. She's really irritated that he pointed out <laughs> and, it, and it's perfect for their relationship. And I was afraid that since they're just meeting, they wouldn't have that. This show works for me for the conversation it's not about sex or their relationship and they're not brother and sister yet like they are in the comics um it's just when they're talking about branding and she's like you know what your problem is clint and and she's just and everything about her relationship with him he's she's just like i am not um i have decided that we are equals yeah you know 
after she hero worships him for all of five minutes. And then, you know, I mean, as a kid, but once she actually meets him, she's like, no, we're going to be partners now. And then, you know, there's even a point where he's like, um, she's like, well, what do you mean you're leaving? You haven't taught me anything yet except for how to lose the tail. And I already knew that. He never promised to teach her anything. Yeah, I mean, not at any point. I've watched the show twice now. I went through and rewatched it again very carefully. He never promises her to teach it. She just decides that and doesn't take no for an answer. He's like, "Only call me for emergencies." She's like, "I'll call you in, in later." He's like, "Please don't." She's like, "I will." Like, I love that about her, and I love that like she has the power to insinuate herself into his life, <laughs> and he's just got to deal with it because that's that's what their relationship's going to be. But also not creepy because I I was wondering no, no, like will creepy. this yeah. be cre- like like I was wondering like will this be creepy? It's not at all. Like mm-hmm. it's everything that you've described because I I've been watching like a lot of like episodes of like Friday Night Lights and there's a lot of creepy relationships. So as much as I love the show and I was like oh gosh like how are they going to handle this? They know what they're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's tough to achieve and yet somehow they're doing it in such a way that seems so effortless here that you have this this older guy but you know charismatic actor and jeremy renner well perhaps mileage may vary on on people's opinions on on (laughs) on that but um but generally accepted as such let's say and then you have you know a younger very attractive very charming very of the moment Haley steinfeld and how is this going to read on the page is it going to read like there's chemistry there that feels uncomfortable is it going to read in a father daughter way is it going to read as a teacher student way um and it's kind of none of those which is great it doesn't quite feel father daughter because while there's similarities in the way that he treats his kids to the way that he treats kate there's also the fact that with his kids you know to a certain extent they have to listen to him right (laughs) he's their dad whereas he acknowledges here that kate is not going to listen to him and he's kind of like he has to be okay with that like she is uh while he says that 18 and 22 are pretty much the same thing, you know, I think he does have to recognize that she, he doesn't know her. They don't have that mm-hmm. pre-established relationship. Yep. She doesn't really owe him anything. Oh, what really makes it work for me is that, uh, uh, Lila, the, the character, his daughter played by Anthony Russo's daughter, um, because she's there as another young woman who does have a fatherly daughterly relationship with him. Yeah. You get this comparison that, um, he's not, He's treating her as um, lesser than him because she's annoying and he's a superhero and he's a dick. Like that's like that's just who Clint is. Yeah. But he's not treating her as lesser because she's female. It's not because she's young. It's not. It's just that he's kind of annoying and he's annoyed with her. But he's also charmed by her enough where he's like, "Look, you're being annoying. Oh wait, no, let me get you. You're bandaging your head wrong. Let me help mm-hmm. you there." Like it's it's, and to me, they're very quickly like I said to in the comics, they have a brother and sister relationship. He doesn't think she needs to listen to him. And in fact, he knows she's not going to, when he says, you know, stay here, I'm going to go thing. And she's like, and he's like, and he goes, you're not really going to stay here. Are you? And she says, no, I'm going, you know, I, I want to tell you I'm going to, but I'm not. And he's like, all right, well, I guess this is how it's going to be. So I, I like that. And I think that what makes it work is we see it because he's got real kids. Mm-hmm. He has his kids. And I, I mean, I don't know how Lila's supposed to be, but you know, 15 or 16. And so, you know, she and Kate's, she says she's 22, I think, so six years. But he definitely, he definitely sees her as a different, as, a, as an adult in a way that he doesn't see his kids, even though he, mm-hmm. you know, he clearly loves his daughter. 
but he sees her as a child. Yeah, though I do have a question about the age dynamic thing, and it's just like the smallest of annoying observation things, which is he he's like, you're 22. Why are you like fighting crime? Shouldn't you be in school? And it's like, um, dude, like you were in Civil War. Yeah. You were fighting alongside Peter Parker, who is a very like he's like 14 or something when that movie takes place and that's not even like basically an adult that's like you are a child um where was where was that where was this opinion then clint i mean it's partially because like, so, yeah, i mean yeah. Side. yeah he, he, he i think i think he would have i think if clint had had the opportunity to talk to tony yeah. during civil war he would have said what the hell are you doing? Hmm. Like, yeah. I have I mean, children this age. <laughs> you know, I think he would, I think he would have had a serious problem with Peter being there. Yeah. Like, like I, I admit that like, this is probably like a, you know, that was a bloated movie. And honestly, it's a surprise, <laughs> like how well they did it um, given the constraints of the film. But it's like, you, you know, Peter Parker is a person kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And besides the fact that even it, I, that, line struck me as well because oh you're 22 shouldn't you be in school there there's a lot of people who are 22 who are not in school it's not like she said 17 so i that struck me too as being a little funny but i guess it's meant to meant to just show that he's a little out of touch i you know that line when he says oh it's yeah. basically the same thing 18 or 22 like well we know it's very much not the same thing but it, it fit with his his um uh, kind of uh characterization that we're that we're getting here in mm-hmm. in the series so far and i i'm glad that the conversation has taken us to this natural starting point of the relationship between kate and clint because i think that that is something that while i loved episode one so much i thought it was a great way of kicking off the series and i loved the aesthetics of it i loved the introduction of kate I loved Rogers the musical. Um, seeing the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, we, I hope, we can oh, talk God, about I, it. I want, it I was want, hilarious, I just, right? I mean, I don't know that I could really sit through two. I mean, I'm just thinking, could I sit through a Hamilton length Rogers the musical? And yes. I, I mean, I, I want to say yes. I, I, like, I don't know how, like, more so than the Zemo cut. I, I want more. Oh, I, just, yeah. I just so much want more. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, I mean, I'm not saying they should stage a musical production and put it on Disney Plus. Although I would watch it if they did. I would watch it, right? (laughs) But maybe if they release like a song from Rogers the Musical anytime they have something in New York or London, if it goes to the West End. I mean, (laughs) if anyone who has the power to make this happen is listening, the people want this. No, totally. That, that and it was such a great scene too because it's so it's so perfectly juxtaposed the the joy and nostalgia that that brings fans with the fact that this is a really traumatic moment for Clint and a bizarre moment mm-hmm. for him to have to reckon with with his legacy there on the on the uh, on the stage and that's something I talked about last week but mm-hmm. that it does kind of bring us to this this idea of what are some of these these bigger ideas that seem to be emerging from the show thematically. And I did talk a little bit about Clint's relationship to the legacy of Hawkeye and the legacy of Ronan on the last episode and how his PTSD is informing his characterization here. Um, and I'm also like looking out for this question of what do the Hawkeyes have in common, you know, and what does it mean to be Hawkeye? As you were saying, Mav, this is a mantle, this is a title that 
both of these characters take on in the comic. And I think we're seeing that here, too, in the naming of the show Hawkeye and then us Hmm. being slightly surprised at like, oh, wait, is Kate kind of the main character here? And then learning like, oh, yeah, of course she kind of is. Right. This is about being Hawkeye and it's not about just Clint Barton here. So I'm curious, you know, for you, Mav, as somebody who's had a longer term relationship with the character of Clint as Hawkeye and with Kate in the comics, like, what do they have in common? What does it mean to be Hawkeye? So I don't think of Hawkeye as a title the way I okay. think of, uh, uh, I don't know, being, being being a Green Lantern, right? Being a Green Lantern is is a title. Um, being Being Thor... You know, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get a movie where Jane Foster is Thor because the the hammer clearly says he whosoever holds this hammer shall have the power of Thor. So right. that so hence Steve Rogers can be Thor. You know, Thor Odinson can be Thor. Apparently, Jane Foster can be Thor. Um, I don't think Hawkeye is a title. I don't think it's something where anybody can be Hawkeye. I think Hawkeye is Clint Barton, and also Hawkeye is Kate Bishop, and it's just the two of them. Um, and what really makes this clear is, and I don't know that he's going to appear, so it's not really a spoiler. Um, Clint has a brother in the comics, Barney and Barney wants to be Hawkeye so bad. And Barney is a great archer and Barney is not Hawkeye and Mm. Barney understands that he's not Hawkeye in a way that, um, in a way that Clint allows Kate to share his name in a way that he does not allow his brother to. Um, and that's. I, and I think that matters in a in a way. So to me, um, for the comics, what makes it work is um, so in that scene that I talked about, you know, page twenty one, um, issue two. Um, the reason Clint is actually saying to her is, you know, I, I can, you know, I don't want to sleep with you is not because of her age. It's because she's his best friend because he's not worried about. He's not worried about um, relationship, man, woman, Harry met Sally stuff <laughs> happening. Like he's not, he, it's just, he's only, you know, he, he, she, he feels like he can talk to her in a way that he can't talk to Natasha, um, who's his ex-girlfriend in the comics or his ex-wife, uh, Bobby Morse, Mockingbird, or at that, at the time of that series, he was dating Spider-Woman and he has trouble talking to women because he has trouble relating and he doesn't have a problem relating to Kate because they are very, very similar in um, in a way that the defining aspect of Clint Barton in the comics is there's nothing remarkable about him. He's a great archer, but really it's just that he's a guy who more than anything wants to be an Avenger. He wants to be a superhero more than anything. It's just like, that's, it, it's the most important thing about him is that he will always try. He will never give up. He will never not help people because he's just trying to be a hero. And Kate is the same way. They are, there. there's no lifting a truck. There's no special injections. There's no um, magic hammer. It's, I am good at this one thing and damn it, I will use this bow and arrow to, you know, to help as many people as I can until the day I die. And that's what makes the two of them tick. MCU... Clint is a little different because right. it's a job for him. It's not, it's not like I want to, like, I don't think MCU Clint ever wanted to be a superhero. He was just there that day. He was just the agent of shield that happened to be there when, you know, when the battle of New York happened in Avengers and he got wrapped up in it. And I think, uh, and I think that makes him different. Whereas I think Kate still 
really wants to be a superhero really bad. So this becomes, uh, so that, so their relationship for me right now is about them sort of, you know, figuring things out and, you know, she can't be Natasha. She can't be his daughter. She can't be, she's not Steve Rogers. She's not, you know, she's just this person that I think he is admiring her tenacity. And I, but I think she is still, she is still comic book Kate Bishop in a way that I think he's responding to. Interesting stuff. And I think that that distinction between who Clint is in the comics versus who he is in the MCU is something that obviously is having an impact here on how his relationship with Kate is playing out. But it's interesting to hear you kind of draw these comparisons as to what is remaining the same. I'm curious, Hannah, as somebody who is not as familiar with the comic and having just seen two episodes, are are these observations ringing true for you as well? I think I think so. I mean, obviously, like some of what Mav said is is very specific um, mm-hmm. to the comics. It's a history that I I I you know I was I, as he was talking, I was like, oh yes, yes, he he was with Bobby Morse. Um, she wasn't <laughs> just like married to uh, Hunter from Agents of Shield, mm-hmm. the TV show. Very deep MCU cut, um, I guess <laughs> at this point. Mm-hmm. That, that all actually makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know if I have more to add, except I I agree. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, it, it seems like we're in agreement. And it, it's interesting. I have usually brought in a perspective to these MCU films and shows as, as a non-comic reader. And this is the first time that I have read the, the source material prior to the thing starting. And it seems like this source material, perhaps more and even some others has really had an impact on what we're seeing here. So I was trying to get back into the headspace of if I hadn't read the Fraction Run and uh, would the relationship between Kate and Clint make sense to me after just two episodes? And I'd like to think that, yeah, that yes, it would. And I think that some of it is, is to the strength of the performers here. But really, the second episode, I mean, pretty much every scene between them reveals so much about who they are and um, their who they are in relationship to each other. And so in thinking about some of these ideas, I, you know, if I was going to condense into the one word there was an idea about for episode two, I was thinking about her comment about inspiration. And you were uh, noting earlier, Hannah, that mm-hmm. seems to be commenting upon fandom as well. And I think that's a big part of it. But the the idea about inspiration is something that Kate specifically calls out in one of my favorite moments of the episode. And Matt, you already alluded to it a little bit, but we will set set the scene First, Kate has decided against Clint's advice that she is going to go into work at her mom's security company after the shenanigans that have taken place in the Ronin suit and the fire at her department and all of that. And Clint is on his way to Central Park to go get the suit back. And we're going to talk more about that scene later. But <laughs> he, um, <laughs> they're, they're walking through Times Square and you can see the Disney store in the background. And it's, uh, it's great. And he moves to her right side. And this is the scene in which he mentions that he's not doing this out of any you know, sense of chivalry, um, as, she, as she jokes about, but that he can hear her better because he has lost some hearing. And I, I do like how she's like, what happened? And then it, it just cuts to all of the flashbacks of all of the explosions and all of the things he's been through. And I think he plays it very well when he's just like, oh, it's hard to tell. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then that brings us into the 
your problem is branding moment in which there's a little kid who is excited to see a superhero and he's not talking about Clint. He's uh, looking at the other, you know, in Times Square, the, the people who are dressed up as the heroes and the, the wonderful, oh, look, that one's you. And he's, nope, that's Katniss Everdeen. That was great. So it brings us to your problem is branding. And of course, Clint says, no, my problem is you. You know, he goes on to how he needs to make it home to his kids and this and that. And she's just like, no, it's branding. Uh, the next part, I'll, I'll kind of read through some of what they say to each other. She says, your whole thing is that you're low key. That's a hard brand to sell. And he says, I'm not trying to sell anything. And she points out that that should technically make him cooler. But she notes that with all the scary things that have happened, people don't want the cynical, cool thing anymore. They want sincerity, not self-seriousness, but hard on your sleeve sincerity. And that he, of course, plays his cards close to the chest, all of these layers of self-protection. And he reminds us he's not really trying to sell anything. And she says, but you do anyway. He asks, what am I selling? Certainly not Halloween costumes or toys off the shelf. That feels very meta. (laughs) And she says, inspiration. So... Mav, Hannah, what do you guys think about this scene? What does this tell us about Clint's character here? I, I feel like Mav's going to start laughing as soon as I um, say what I'm going to say, which is I feel like I felt like in some ways this was like straight out of like an updated Dickens novel. And, and <laughs> I was, was going to try not to laugh, but yeah, OK. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't you know, disagree. Like, you know, um, especially like, I mean, Clint is not Ebenezer Scrooge, um, but he, you know, thinking about like Christmas and, and, you know, um, sincerity and sentimentality are two things that are very big and Christmas stories and stories about um, social like life in like the 19th century or, and, 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 and so on to this day, I, I was a Victorianist in my past life. This is why um, I, I you this ever is like being a Victorianist. <laughs> Who can say? Um, <laughs> once a Victorianist, always a Victorianist. Um, you know, it, it felt like just very appropriate for like the the Chris, like the themes being set around Christmas, and it it certainly like does like speak to his kind of cynical nature as a character. And and, and you know, they, there's even like a line where she like asks him like, you know, where where what made your heart shrink? Yeah, um, <laughs> leading to the Grinch. So like, they're really I think building on this like you know, pa- past years of, uh, you know, literature and pop culture to like help us really understand, um, who Clint is in the moment very quickly. Um, not that everyone in, you know, sitting there is like, oh yes, Dickens, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I might go on a limb and say literally no one but me, but you know, I think, I think that this, this is like, like Eternals, um, Hawkeye is using like literary illusions and and past narratives um, of things that people commonly know to you know establish um, what some major themes are and how yeah. like some of these characters might grow. And it's also really interesting how like Clint is so cynical because he does have the family in like mm-hmm. this version of him. And I mean, obviously in in game, he lost his family and became Ronan, and that was like his motivator. But it, it just, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but it's very interesting that like he has a loving family he cares about very much. And yet he's so cynical. I agree. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I, I would not have, I would not have um, thought to connect it to Dickens, but um, knowing, <laughs> knowing Hannah as I do, I would expect nothing less. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> that, that said, 
I I love that scene because what made it work for me, same thing as the the page from that I was talking about from the comic. What made it work for me is that Clint does not talk down to her. And when she says, My pro- your problem is branding, he resists it first. But then when she explains, no, I've got a point here, he listens to her. And he doesn't, doesn't necessarily agree, but it's it's a thing that makes them equals. And it's allowing her to very quickly ingratiate herself as a protagonist for the show um, in a way that um, I, I've not really seen any hot takes of why are they pushing this woke agenda down our throats? And, you know, the kinds of things that you, that you, I'm sure they're out there and I'm not looking, but like the kinds of things that I expect from any female starring Marvel product, um, whether it's Captain Marvel or WandaVision, I'm not seeing people complain about it the same way, even, you know, which I think is good. And I don't think it's enough that like, well, it's because there's a beloved character attached to it because the beloved character attached to it is Hawkeye and no one cares. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's not, he's not, he was never lighting the world on fire. Um, since, you know, he's, he's the joke, the, he's the MCU joke of, even though I love him, I, you know, He's always been the MCU joke of, you know, why is this regular guy here? What's he bringing to the team? You know, even even though Natasha was also unpowered, you know, she was never looked at that way by the fandom the way Clint was because Clint's the boring guy with the wife and kids. And I I like I like their interplay. And I think that conversation that conversation really sells it that and that in the conversation when they're, you know, when he's helping her patch up her wounds. Those are the two, the heartwarming conversations between the two of them that make, that make it work. And if he is the curmudgeonly Grinch character, this is, you know, it shows that his heart can, you know, expand three sizes that day or whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I will also like to go back to um, the other conversation about his use of the hearing aid. Mm -hmm. Um, I find it really interesting that Marvel is focusing more and more on disability. They, uh, for those of you who uh, have seen Eternals, um, you know they they introduced um, the first deaf superhero in the MCU, Makari, who like is probably like one of the most powerful Eternals. Um, and we only get a glimpse of Echo at the end of this episode, mm-hmm. but um, you know, uh, spoilers have put out that she's also deaf. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll be in her own show. And now, and I didn't realize until watching the these two episodes that Clint was going to be portrayed as having hearing loss, some hearing loss as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm interested to see like where they take that. Yeah, I think that's so. That is not just out of the Fraction series. Clint has long been deaf in the comics, and one of the things, I mean, the, your mileage may vary. One of the things that I find great about it is he is deaf in a way that is not defining for him to the point that some people don't know. Whereas like with Daredevil, it's like, he's blind and he's a superhero. Sure. And with Echo, she's deaf and she's a superhero. Clint is, he's deaf. He wears a, he wears a hearing aid. Most people are unaware, <laughs> you know, even the, even the readers, you know, it only, it only matters when it does. And so it's more of a character trait. It, it never holds him back. Um, again, one of the, there is a, there is a, um, 
he gets healed at, at some point because comics are weird. Um, but then he loses the ability. Fraction takes away his ability to hear again. So there's a, there's a point where he first loses um, his hearing again in the comic, in the Fraction series. And it's a, um, it's the next issue after that, you find out that Clint originally lost his hearing as a child. So he was deaf as a child. So he and Barney both speak sign language. Uh, Barney is Barney is Clint's brother in the comics, um, and uh, Barney and Clint both spe- both spe- speak sign language from when Clint was a kid. So there's an issue of Hawkeye that is almost entirely done in sign language, um, and in ASL American Sign Language. And as someone who doesn't speak American Sign Language, I had to read it the way that a person you know who is deaf would have to read. Who would have to watch any movie without subtitles? You can understand what's going on, and you get the story as and you, and you see that they're signing each other. Each other, and it was it was cool because when it came out, uh, and I was reading it month to month, um, a couple of days after it was out, you you found these translations like people just posting to Reddit and Twitter. Okay, I'm deaf. Here's what he's saying, and people would translate the book for you. So, and it's, and it's a really clever story that you just can't read unless, I mean, you, un, unless you know sign language and, it, and it's you know, kind of brilliantly done. Um, and so that's, so I like that, you know, they're trying to be inclusive in a way that, you know, we, people talk about diversity is important, you know, representation is important, but we typically, we being, um, um, able, able-bodied people tend to say that meaning race first, gender second, maybe sexuality third, and um, disability is often forgotten. That's one reason why um, I've seen proponents of accessibility really like emphasize when thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion work, also including accessibility as its own prong because it, mm-hmm. it is so often forgotten. Um, yeah. I am interested to see if this series is going to explore something like Def Gain, which um, is something Lauren Ridloff, um, Ridloff the um, actress who played Makari in The Eternals, talked about, mm-hmm. um, like the way, you know, being deaf could be an advantage instead of a loss. Um, mm-hmm. That's, you know, um, how I, I saw an interview and that's how um, she put it. And I, I'm interested in seeing like how they portray this going forward um because i feel like uh just watching eternals there there was um portrayals of death gain in mm-hmm. the movie that like you could like there there was you know a very like purposeful take to like dismantle ableism in eternals mm-hmm. so i'm very mm-hmm. interested to see if like hawkeye carries that forward especially since it, it includes multiple characters um mm-hmm. with disability he has done it in the comics, which is usually when when people when it ends up happening is there's there's some threat that's sound based, and mm-hmm. he'll just go, oh, okay, and he just reaches up to his ear and switches the hearing aid off. <laughs> He's like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm done. You know, cool. screw you guys. You good luck. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like, but there's been but there have been you know situations where he and Captain America will be going off to do something, and Cap can't get through, and Clint's just like, click, done. You know, so it has come up. Yeah, I'm curious too about the the extent to which, as you were saying, Mav, in some of the comics, like, you know, it, it's kind of forgotten about until it's not. I wonder the mm-hmm. extent to which it will play a role. You know, there's only four more episodes of this series. So I, I'm looking looking to see what's going to happen with that. And especially knowing 
that there is, uh, who seems to clearly be an antagonist in this Echo character, who is not named as Echo in episode two, but we kind of know mm-hmm. from our supplemental uh, understanding mm-hmm. that that is Echo. And we do also know that there will be a show devoted strictly to to her, or at least named after her, which suggests that it will be starring her in, in the future. So mm-hmm. curious to see what role that will play. And also, I liked the way that it was brought up in these episodes as very much just being a consequence of his being a regular guy who's been fighting the good fight that he lost his <laughs> hearing. And um, it, it reminds me of in the Fraction comics when you you see those panels in which he's you know wearing all of these casts and he's all bandaged up and he's in the hospital beds, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, this world takes its toll on a normal person, uh, on a on a I should say not super powered person. And I like that you get the glimpse of that in here too, right? He is very knowledgeable on how to dress wounds and how to take care of yourself after a fight and which supplies. She gets so excited and eager, like, ooh, are we going to Avengers Tower for supplies? But no, they're going to get cotton swabs and rubbing alcohol. (laughs) Right. And it reminded me of the scene in Black Widow as well, when Natasha is helping Yelena with her wounds. And I, I like that parallel, not just because I really like Clint and Natasha and, you know, seeing how they are they're leaving their legacy to the next generation, but because it does ground us a little bit in, yes, he is a real person. The risks that he's taking mm-hmm. are are really serious. Um, I did also want to circle back to what you were commenting on, Mav, about the, the negative backlash, or in this case, seeming to be lack thereof, because we do know mm-hmm. that there are a lot of nasty people on the internet who like to be detractors of, particularly, it seems, female characters in the MCU, but... People will find any reason to to complain about things. I, I think the show has made a conscious effort to show that she has been through... I, I mentioned this on my previous episode, but she is very skillful. She is very talented. She is very strong. She is very athletic, and she's earned it, right? She has gained all of this skill through the the privilege that her family's money has afforded her in taking fencing and martial arts and archery and being trained and going to school and all of these things, right? So she has has uh, gained this experience, but she's gained this experience in this very kind of controlled environment of training and of the, the formalized education version of, of what these things are, as opposed to now she's being thrown into crisis mode. She's being thrown into fights on the street and she's very inexperienced in this way. And I think this episode Mm -hmm. too does a good job of showing that she, the contrast between those two things. And in this episode, she, uh, we really see that she is not great in a crisis (laughs) and and Clint is. (laughs) And I think that was really cool, cool to see as well. I like that she freaked out about a dead body. Yes. She's, she's like, that's a she first. Says, yeah. She wants, she's, you know, this is her chance to be a superhero. She's wanted this since, I guess the, she says she took, started taking martial arts at five, which I thought the first time through was supposed to make us think that that girl was somehow five, but the actress was 10. And I think that she's supposed to be 10 when um, like I'm, I'm, I'm doing the math and figuring if she's 22 and 2012 was when uh, the Battle of New York happened. Yeah. For them, I think it's 2024 uh, right now or mm-hmm. 2023. MCU time is, is is weird. So I think that we're supposed to believe that neither Kate nor her mom were snapped. I think that's where we're supposed to be at. I think so. And she's legit, tw- and she's legit 22. Um, so 
I, I feel like this is something that she's wanted, you know, that she's been training for ever since she was a little girl and she's, and she's there, but privilege does, you know, so much, right? Like you can go, mm -hmm. you can go and you can take a lot of, you can take a lot of martial arts classes, but that doesn't prepare you for, you know, I, I've taken martial arts classes um, and they're great until you get hit for real and getting hit for, <laughs> hit for real is different. Yes. Um, and, you know, like I, 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 I was lucky enough that I was pro wrestler for a while. Um, that's also different, right? But it's, but getting hit with a, you know, there's no way, there's no way to fake getting hit with a steel chair. You see anybody hit with a steel chair in wrestling? That's because someone swung a steel chair at their head and it hurts and you, you can't train for it. It just hurts. So I think that, you know, she's learning really quick that, you know, you, you see when she has that fight, you know, she, she's fighting six guys, something that she's never done before. And she does great for someone who's never done before but she does not do superhero well she does better than she should have <laughs> and she has and she struggles and clint knows what it's like to str struggle and i that's sort of what makes them interesting to me um in a way that is different than watching um I don't know, Daredevil or, or Iron Fist or, or Jessica Jones or Luke Cage, if you watched the Netflix shows, right? Like, you know, like Daredevil is always exhausted after a hallway fight where he's fought 20 guys, but he still fought 20 guys by himself. Mm -hmm. Kate, Kate struggled with six and she needed Clint to show up to help her. Right. And I like, I liked that. I, I thought it was great. As we, and as we talk more and more, and as I think more about the MCU in general, it seems, you know, most of the heroes to kind of go back to the, are like adults. Like they might not be superheroes at first, but like Scott Lang is a mature, well, mature might be straight, but you know, he's an adult. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he's, he's like, a man he child. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> but you know, he, he has like some gravitas, I don't know, to, to him because, you know, he has a kid. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, Really, like, this is, besides Peter Parker, this is, like, the first time, really, we've seen someone so, yeah, like, well, I, I, I don't know how old the twins are supposed to be. The twins in WandaVision? Uh, well, yeah, well, Wanda, yeah, Wanda and Peter, I'm not sure. But, like, it, you know, like, with very few exceptions, we don't get, like, a long, extended look at very young people and experienced mm -hmm. people becoming superheroes and like the di the difference here is that of course peter has powers so it's like you know right. if you're peter parker you can be goofy and like jump off a building and like fall into an alley and <laughs> it's like fine but she's just a a, a human without powers she just yes. has had a lot of like privilege and training like bat you know she's like an immature Batman. Um. There's a meat body there that can yeah. break, which yeah. which is so great. So, I love that. I love that they put bandages on and then they're wearing them the entire rest of the, which is a constant from the Hawkeye series. Um, you just see him and her. They're just always bandaged up because this world's rough. You know, like you're, she's throwing herself. Um, she does uh, this. Her, my favorite move of hers during the fight with tracksuit mafia, by the way, tracksuit mafia, best villains ever. I think I <laughs> told TK that last time because before you'd see, before you'd read the book, yes. just wait, team they're amazing. When she fights the tracksuit mafia, she does a, what's called a tornado DDT. It's one of the, it's the move where she grabs the guy and she slams his head into the, um, in, into, um, uh, it's a bull, it's a combination of tornado DDT bulldog. If you have wrestling fans watching the, um, what, the listening, they'll know what I'm talking about, but she slams the guy's head in, and that's great. And it also hurts you a lot. 
and she clearly suffers from all of these things. That's why she's, you know, she's breathing hard. And again, the bandages all over her face that she's, you know, uh, people are, you, you know, her mom's like, what happened to you? And she's like, uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, like, like that's how it should be. You should look like you've been in a fight when you've been in a fight. Well, speaking of getting into some fights, let's talk about the LARPing scene. So <laughs> as you mentioned earlier, Hannah, the, the show is definitely commenting on this idea of, of, not just inspiration and and legacy, but also just what it means to be a fan of these these real life people and how people interact with this, with various forms of of fandom. So Clint goes to Central Park to track down the the MacGuffin of the Ronin suit, and he finds himself in a world of live action role playing. So do either of you have experience with with LARPing and or what did you think of the portrayal of it here? I have more, I know a lot of people who use, who do it. Um, I've gone like twice, but I know people who are very into it. There are different forms. Well, actually, okay. I guess rephrase that. I was a professional wrestler. So I guess in some respect, I have mm. a lot of experience, but, um, but of the people who do this sort of as, as a leisurely activity, there are different forms of it. That is certainly, um, that th- there was certainly some aspect of, of SCA Society of Creative Anachronism, which is what or or um, what they were trying to do by that um, by that scene. Um, there's some aspect of that. Um, I I think that it's a hard show. I think that, that I think that this show knows that they want to make fun of it in order to make it humorous, but they also know where their bread's buttered, and they know that you can't piss off geeks too much by making them the butt of the joke. Right. So I because if you do they're not going to order Disney plus subscriptions. And these are your people. <laughs> and, and I think, um, and I think that they walked a really good line there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that. Um, I love that you can tell that as curmudgeonly as Clint was and grills actually asks him at the, at the end, he's like, you had fun. Right. And he has to admit I kind of did. Right. Like he, mm-hmm. he has to admit that he yeah. kind of was sort of into it. Um, and and make a just a brief recommendation for if you talked about Jerry Ritter being charming. Um, if anybody has ever seen or not seen the film Tag, Jeremy Renner stars in the movie oh, Tag yes. with um, yes. with with uh, Ed Helms and some other people, and it's 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 about adults playing tag. One of the characters is Jeremy Renner, who even though he's not called that, he's playing a game of adult, you know, tag. You know, you have to go and touch the other person, and he's inexplicably without an explanation he is he just is hawkeye he has hawkeye abilities like he can he's faster than everybody else mm-hmm. he sees uh-huh. things in slow motion and and it's never there's no good reason for it because other than that it's a down to earth like very realistic comedy but he just has hawkeye powers because it's Jeremy Renner and he would from you know from the other movies so so That's you funny. can tell he's having a blast doing it um and in the scenes where he's like, you know, where they're, they're all trying to tag each other and he has the ability to make the rest of the world move in slow motion. <laughs> so I feel like that's what was happening with Clint here. Very cool. And I actually did. Uh, there was part of an interview I listened to with uh, with Reese Thomas, the director of these first two episodes. And I, he mentioned that Renner was very on board for this LARPing scene and was was instrumental <laughs> in it and was very into it. So that that seems consistent there. Yeah, um, I, I agree with everything Mav said, but I, I did find like the interplay between Hawkeye and Grills, um, like when when he's like, you know, let me let me, you know, kill you. Like I, I, you're like a real hero. 
Uh, this is like the closest I get. I want to, you know, beat you. And then like, like Clint is like, all right. And he's like, no, no, no. We got to like make it real. Like the story matters. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it, and of course the story matters. Like, and, and you know, at the, at the end, he's like, I will tell this legend, you know, epic yeah. <laughs> or, you know, ever like, but, 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 you know, like, I think that that's, you know, again, commenting on like what it means to be a hero because like part of why we care about heroes is their story. Um, like what, like why we're interested in these particular characters is like the story that's being told. Um, the reason why, like, you know, I, I think we either get up in arms about something or just want to discuss this for like hours on end is there's a story there and uh the story like you know what's being said in the story matters i mean the re- you know the reason why i love peter parker more than any other hero is because he has a class consciousness in his story that say tony stark does not have as much as you know <laughs> like everyone loves tony yeah i'm, I'm going for the spider-man references all always <laughs> oh. great but you know there there there's something there and i, I think that like I think that this will continue to play out because this is, you know, telling Kate's origin story. Um, and who knows where Clint's story is going to go, except hopefully home to his family by Christmas so he doesn't end up disappointing his daughter. Oh, I hope so. Like, <laughs> that would be so tragic. Like, okay, look, I I know that Hawkeye is not Downton Abbey. But I've had a lot of bad <laughs> luck with like BBC Christmas specials with like Doctor Who and Downton Abbey over the years. <laughs> I better not be crying buckets of tears for any bad reason. Disney oh, Plus on December twenty second, like it's Christmas. Do not do this to me. It Disney didn't Plus. even it didn't even occur to me that this could be a tragedy. Oh no! But it I mean, could I be. I suppose. Be. <laughs> I don't think it will be. But on the off paranoid chance you know i i say as they're like you know already done filming and yeah kind of locked in <laughs> don't do this to me um i think it's great that you're both invested in it i mean because like oh yeah this is the character that everybody loves to hate and you know you're like oh my god i hope he gets home to his family yeah th- that's great <laughs> you know you should hope that um I, I will say um i this is um you know, you talked about, you know, the non-comic readers. Um, my wife is a casual MCU fan and she doesn't see every movie. She, which is, I, don't, I still understand how she does this. She, she'll go, oh, that one looks good. Maybe I'll go to that one with you. And then sometimes she'll be like, nah, I don't care. Go without me. She doesn't watch every TV series. Um, she, she was very into WandaVision. She hasn't, she's seen a couple of episodes of the other ones. None of them have sunk to her. I was like, uh, I'm going to watch the Hawkeye series. You want to watch this? She's like, no. And I'm like, no, 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 really. I, 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 you know, I think you might like this one because she doesn't, she doesn't know Kate Bishop exists before this. And I was like, mm-hmm. um, I think you might like this one. And she actually asked of her own volition. She was like, well, does it star Hawkeye? And I was like, yeah. And she's <laughs> like, and she goes, I don't think I'm interested. He's not cool (laughs) and i I go um there's more to it and there's more to it and she's and she's like does it star hawkeye or somebody else in it and i and i go yes (laughs) yeah fine i'll watch it and then once she watches she's like oh that girl's cool you know (laughs) because i didn't want to ruin it for her but she but she the same thing she's you know as a casual fan she's just like oh do I have to care about this one? <laughs> but, but once she meets Kate, she's you know she's in. So I, I think I think that I think that the 
producers are aware of, I mean, you, you, TK, you talked about how they make the joke about, you know, you're not going to sell any merchandise, yeah. right? Like they're aware of what they're doing. And I, and I yeah. like the self-awareness. Yeah. yeah. My boyfriend, Josh, like we, we started watching the show and we came on to the flashback of New York and he was like, but, but this is like supposed to be the Hawkeye show, right? Like, mm. who is this? And, uh, <laughs> I, he he basically agreed to watch it because I was like, we're gonna, and it's Thanksgiving weekend, uh, ish now. And he was like, all right, sure. Whatever. Nothing better to do. Uh, and, and today he was explaining the show, um, to his dad and was like, now actually Clint Barton's not the main character, not really, but it's better than you think it would be. <laughs> well, I think yeah. it, you know, I, I think these anecdotes are, are going back to what you were saying before Hannah about the kind of meta commentary in that LARPing scene about how the story does matter, right? Fleshing out the the characterization and giving the characters a motivation beyond just the fighting that we see in the glorious slow-mo. <laughs> and you could tell that Jeremy <laughs> Renner was having fun, having fun with, with filming that. But like you're saying, right? It, we get invested because we care about the nuances. That's why we're having this conversation right now. And one of the things, and to your point, Mav, like here we are and we're super invested in if he's going to get make it home in time for Christmas. I wanted to touch on his relationship to Laura, played by the wonderful Linda Cardellini, who, you know, mm-hmm. up till up until very recently and, and even still, I'm kind of like, man, I wish they got Linda Cardellini to do something a little bit cooler in the MCU. But I will say that I really appreciated, you know, we just see her on the phone with him. But you can really see that there is a relationship between these two characters. He clearly confides in her. She is very supportive of him, but it feels like a very mutual relationship. It's not just I I didn't get the sense that she's there just to be, you know, saying all of the right things in his ear for us as, as a viewer. I'm really invested in this relationship between the two of them and the way that they care for the kids. And, and uh, she's funny. You know, how's the problematic wardrobe? Like, girl, it's great. And, uh, you know, he, he, she knows about the tracksuit friends, which I thought was interesting. And she's commenting mm-hmm. on uh, who he calls the tracksuit friends. I'm curious exactly how much she knows. But I just thought it was great that just the callback to talking about Natasha and the catch and release moves, just very supportive relationship that they have when they're on the phone. And she's not saying, Clint, you better make it home for Christmas. You promised your daughter, right? It's very much just sort of like, all right, well, you have five days to keep that promise. But she's not she's not nagging him in any way. She's just like, all right, you know, be careful. They clearly trust each other. And he's sad to be missing out on gingerbread making. But I, I thought that it worked for me. I, I don't know what you guys were thinking about that relationship, but I really I really liked it. It worked for me. I was curious if it worked for everybody. I mean, clearly it worked for you. I was afraid watching it. I thought, is this the kind of thing where people are going to be like, why doesn't this woman have a character of her own? But I felt like she did. We just don't see it because it's not her story. Yeah. Like, I did not feel like she was only mm-hmm. there to service him. I felt like she didn't go on the trip, probably because she has a job or something. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why, but she clearly she she's she clearly understands enough of his life to where, you know, she's talking about him. She's talking to him about his work, right? Oh, the tracksuit mafia guys, those idiots. So she's heard the story about stuff that he did while she was dead. You know, like she she clearly knows. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and she and I, I don't have any reason to believe that he kept stuff from her. Um, and she, you know, when he says, I'm going to do a little catch and release, the fact that she knows exactly what that is and that it's an that it's the Natasha move, not a not a Clint move, means that she's invested enough in this world yeah. that she just very casually, you know, doesn't even look up from like clean or whatever she's doing. Like she's like, oh yeah, yeah, that thing. All right, I know what that is. And she's got her own life. And I felt I I didn't feel like she was two dimensional, even though she has very little to do um as far as this story goes, because I feel like she has her own story going on. Yeah, I agree. And I, I feel like honestly like they for all my complaints about how they've handled certain things in the MCU, um, especially like between Natasha and Clint, I, I, I always felt like actually since her introduction, like uh, since um, Laura's yes. introduction <laughs> to the MCU. Yes. Okay. Making sure I'm not mixing up characters and actors. It's getting a little late. Um, <laughs> yeah. Since Laura's introduction to the MCU and the kids, you know, they, they've always like, made it clear that Natasha was a part of Clint's family and they, they knew about their partnership and they like, they knew what was going on. And this like, I think kind of built on that, those like small scenes that have been sprinkled in over the past, I don't know, five, six years worth of history, maybe more. Shouldn't do math at night. (laughs) Um, Yeah. and, And I think that like you, you get the sense that like, she has to like have her own story and character and like personality because I feel like I probably as a human being would not love being married to a superhero who like, like, cause you know, he like sends his kids home and like, they're disappointed. Um, which I would be too. Like my father like promised me a trip to New York and sent me home early without, um, coming home. And then like, but you know, like they're, they're like, they understand and like she's understanding, and there, there's that, but 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 not like passively and like oh yes we'll we'll do whatever it takes to make your job work, honey, or whatever you know. Um, th- this is a long-winded way of saying like it works for me, and I think it like it's it it's so, there's such small scenes, but like I think they must have worked so hard to like make them as good as they are to like kind of catch the dynamic of like disappointment and wanting to be together for a family during like the holiday season, but also like understanding like this is like his job and right. like there, there's a history there and there's things that he has to do. Like feelings are complicated. Um, mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, definitely. Well <laughs> said. I, I totally agree. So there is an aspect to the episode that we haven't quite touched on yet. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Clint and Kate's, relationship and a lot of the scenes that really pop between those two actors and their banter and their dynamic. We talked a little bit more about Clint and with Laura. Uh, but we haven't really talked about Kate, her relationship to her mom, Eleanor, or to her soon-to-be stepdad, Jack. <laughs> let's let's actually, Hannah, I'm okay. curious to go to you first without, you know, knowing that you don't have the comics background. And I know that uh, Jack is not really Jack in the comics, but there is a connection there, sort of. But Hannah, what are you making of this whole Jack and Eleanor thing? And are you invested in, we were talking about being invested in, is Clint going to make it home for for Christmas? But to what extent are you feeling invested in what's going on with Kate and her home life? So I think that if there is like a big question mark that makes me be like, huh, about the writing of episode one, episode one and two, and like I... This is not really a criticism because I haven't seen the full series yet. It's like Eleanor is a smart woman. <laughs> she 
Like, you think so, yes. <laughs> she, she, well, you know, like she, she runs her own security company. Yep. She <laughs> like has not always been rich, even though she's like rich, she's self-aware enough to give Kate that speech about young and rich people think they're invincible and you need to watch out and she's not wrong. And she, you know, like she clearly like knows what's, well, seemingly knows what's up, but <laughs> for such like I, I don't I don't know I maybe they'll tell us more. I don't understand why she's with Jack um <laughs> for all of this. Like like clearly I, there's there's like a whiff of mystery around the murder of Armand the third. But assumedly, like sketchy dude Jack goes to black market auction, steals blade, is obsessed with swords, has a supervillain vibe and i i like know his character kind of has some history but not really so this is just like my vibes from the tv show it's the mustache yeah (laughs) it has a but you know it has a super villain vibe like man explains kate's feelings about like (laughs) stepdaughter life oh yeah well he read a book you know Um, he read a book book. (laughs) like he like has has personalized butterscotch that freaks her out like he he i feel like he must he might have killed armand the third because you know he was armand was threatening eleanor and jack seems to super be into eleanor sketchiness aside probably but like this I, i would like some more of explanation perhaps i guess it's like a i would like some more explanation perhaps because like I, I think that like Eleanor's dynamic with Kate is great. I don't I don't understand <laughs> her relationship with Jack at all. Like she's like been single for many years now and this is like the dude that she wants to like marry. I don't know why. Um and it, like he's Do you think he's the first? You think he's like like her, like her I don't know that I don't I didn't get the vibe no, no, that he was her no, first no, no, boyfriend. No. No, no, yeah. no, not first boyfriend, but like I guess I meant single in in terms of marital status. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, wh- why you want to marry sketch? Like you could date sketchy dude, but why you want to marry <laughs> sketchy dude? You know, like I just I don't I don't know. This is like the baffling part of the show to me. I'm understanding it's into two episodes, and I think that some of it's purposefully mysterious because sure. Why? I guess this is less of maybe a who done it than a why done it, unless they're pulling some big twist i have my my kind of theories but i'm i'm with you that it seems like right like she would be a very smart woman right with this business and and what we've seen her be a very supportive parent to kate but then there's this bizarre disconnect when kate is really trying to get through to her about hey this dude was murdered with a sword you know who else really likes swords your soon-to-be husband. <laughs> and also, you know, he just admitted that he was lying when we were fencing in, in the penthouse, like such rich people problems. Um, but <laughs> like fencing <laughs> after risotto. Um, but it was, it, that's an issue for me too. Um, so I'm with you. Like, why is she all like, why is she not so smart all of a sudden? Um, I, I guess I have a couple of, of thoughts on that. I, what are you thinking about it, Mav? I, I assume there's more yeah. and this is a, so there's no spoilers here from the comics because it can't be the same story for those who've not read the comics in the comics. Uh, Kate's mom is dead and her dad's alive. Um, it's completely so like 
whatever is going on with Eleanor is not direct from the, from the comics. Um, Jacques is a different Jacques slash Jack is a different character, much more related to Clint than to Kate. So this is, this is new territory. Um, that said, yeah, I agree. She should be smarter. So I assume there's something else going on. So like, for instance, I don't believe she is so dumb that she doesn't know something's going on with Kate. I think she just trusts Kate and she's letting Kate do her own thing. Um, I know from we know from trailers that at some point uh, Clint and Kate are going to sit down with Jack and Eleanor. And so we know that she, you know, like that's just from commercials. We know that there's they're going to come clean and say, look, you know, your daughter's working with me on some Avengers things. But like, I just assume that she knows Kate's doing stuff. But I um I don't know what Jack's going to be other than the fact that he's got a tenuous relationship to the comic book character. I'm hoping it's a swerve sort of like in, um, in the Captain Marvel movie, the scrolls mm-hmm. are the bad guys in, in the comic book world. And then it turns out, no, they're just fine. They're just aliens in, in the, in the movies. I'm hoping the same thing's going. I'm he is so comically a villain, you know, yeah. with his mustache yeah. twirliness that I'm hoping it's going to be like, no, it turns out he's just a like he didn't murder his uncle. I'm, I'm I'm hoping it's just like a bunch of red herring stuff. Like he's a dude who likes swords. Yeah. And he's really trying his best to be a to be a good stepdad. And like and like she's just overreacting because that would be funny. On the other hand, I wanted that from last time I was on uh, or when we were on the show talking about um on um uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I wanted it to be a red herring with Sharon as well, and it just mm-hmm. turned out to be the obvious thing. I don't want this to be the obvious thing. I want I want Jack to. Either be, you know, either be secretly a good guy, or he's just, you know, he's just a dude who likes swords. Okay, I like swords. <laughs> swords are fun. <laughs> you know, he's a rich guy. People, rich guys have weird, weird hobbies. <laughs> you know. I mean, I think it could go either way. I mean, as much as I like heavily telegraph that he's, I he is a ske- sketchy dude. Like, don't get yeah. me wrong, because he went to a black market auction and stole a sword. That yeah. rich people do that. Come yeah. On. yeah. But, <laughs> but like, but you know, rich, rich people can be terrible without sure. being like legit super villain, like directly murdering people with swords. Like, I mean, right. he could have just been at his uncle's house and had a butterscotch because if there's a bowl of candy, would you not take from a bowl? I, of candy? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So but, it's also but weird still. that she thought that was a clue because like, she's like, oh my God, he has the butterscotch. I'm like, yeah, it's his, it's uncle. his uncle's custom butterscotch. <laughs> yeah. it, it's sure he does, you know, <laughs> it's like coming to my house and being like, wow, like, 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 like really, if you go to my house right now, like you'd be like, wow, Mav has um, the same Thanksgiving rolls that his mother-in-law had. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was, cause I was there yeah. two days ago. <laughs> It's like, yes, I do. You know, like that's, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And I like that because though it, it, it speaks to what we were talking about before with Kate, which like she is so eager, right? And she is, there's this whole personal thing that she's bringing to this. Like, of course, she's throwing extra suspicion onto Jack. We're seeing this from from her perspective because she has mom, dad, stepdad concerns about all of this. And, uh, and, I, and I like that. And she... She's messing up, right? Kate <laughs> Kate has been wonderful and sh- and she is also messing up here and we see that kind of royally at the end of this episode when she thinks that she's going to come help Clint but really she just makes a mess out of everything. Um so I I guess on that note, I, other than that last scene which we can talk a little bit about, is there anything that we that we kind of missed any other standout moments from from this episode that that speak to some of these 
character questions and observations that we're making? I have one that's silly and it's, and it's just because <laughs> I wanted to mention it because there's no other. It's it's literally something that would have happened in the last few seconds of the first episode and the beginning of this episode. Um, they have my my one of my biggest movie pet peeves, which is magic clothing. I hate magic clothing. <laughs> um, like uh, so. So Haley Steinfeld is she's tall for a Hollywood actress at five eight. He's short for a Hollywood actor at five nine. So fine. They're they're an inch different in height. But he's got 50 pounds on her and she just puts on his outfit and everybody's like, oh, it's the Ronin. Like, you know, yeah. first off, the outfit just fits her and it fits Grills, who's clearly a foot taller than Jeremy Renner. Like he's yeah. clear, Grills is clearly like mm-hmm. six six, not, not quite a foot, but he's but he's obviously much taller. And you know, and it's like, but this outfit just fits everybody perfectly. And then they're like, oh, she looks just like the other Ronin, you know, minus the fact that she's obviously female and 50 pounds lighter. (laughs) And I hate that nobody ever notices that sort of thing. It's just, it's such a weird pet peeve of mine. It's the plot convenient clothing size Mm -hmm. loophole. (laughs) I mean, what what are all the things we've seen in the MCU? Yeah, I'm okay with the fact that people can fly and have spider powers, powders. (laughs) <laughs> they, they can fly and have spider powers, but it's weird when they have magic clothing. Okay. <laughs> not, I mean, we, we all got to, we got to all draw the line somewhere. <laughs> That's right. That's it. That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, anything else on your mind that we didn't quite touch on from this episode? I did find it amusing that she was also like, Kate was also very terrible at talking to the police. And I wonder if that will come back or, um, you know, if, if, how how that like plot line will like come hopefully come as like they try and like solve the mystery of who killed Armand the third. Um, but I think I think we've hit, I think we've hit a lot of the big moments. Honestly, um, I think we've had a really nice conversation. Um, it might be the most Mav and I've ever agreed on anything. Actually, <laughs> true. We do a we do a Christmas episode every year where we mostly agree. It's just that is you true. Know. It's just other stuff. There's something about the Christmas, <laughs> the Christmas related content that's really bringing it all out, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, the last thing that I wanted to just call out, not that I ha- have anything interesting to say about it, but I did just really enjoy the Clint's attempt at the catch and release scene with the kind of who's on first of Kate Bishop, not Kate Bishop. Kate Bishop is guy. Kate Bishop is not guy. Like that was that was very good. And um <laughs> looking forward to to seeing the rest of the the, the tracksuit, the tracksuit mafia and uh where this is gonna play out. So before we wrap up, any burning questions slash anything you're hoping to see next week. I assume we're gonna see Elena soon. I'm really looking forward to that. I, I, so based on where they're at in the story, I assume next week we're going to get to see them do the uh, the getaway from the tracksuit mafia um, in the sports car moment that's yes. in the trailer, and it was in the Disney Plus day. And mm-hmm. um, so, like, no spoilers, but like that is a it is a classic moment from the TV from the comic book so that good. I'm hoping makes its way into the TV series. Um, also, you know, just from if they, if if they if they don't have jokes about the boomerang arrow um then then the then i change my mind and the show sucks <laughs> because, <laughs> because for people again people who haven't read it like the 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 best part about um 
about Clint and Kate's relationship in the comic is she's looking at all of his trick arrows and she goes, why do you have a boomerang yes. arrow? And he goes, because boomerangs. And she's like, but it's a boomerang. Why would you want an arrow to come back to you? And Clint's like, because because boomerangs. It's a boomerang. <laughs> and, and I just want that to be in there. And then it it turns out to be useful. So I'm hoping that there, I'm hoping the boomerang arrow moment is in, is in next week. Though. Yeah. They planted the seed because she says something about trick arrows in this episode. Mm-hmm. And he's like, there's no trick arrows. But that, that's how you know they are. there are trick arrows. There's always trick arrows. I, I hope we get more mystery. I, I really want to, I want, I want there to be something to who killed Armand III beyond Jack did it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but if Jack did do it, I want to know why. And also maybe Eleanor did it. Here's a wild theory. Eleanor did it and framed Jack Mm. with the sword and the butterscotch. I totally thought she did it. I totally thought she did it. And she, and she's using Kate's paranoia um, against Jack. um, And that's why she's engaged to him to uh, frame him and, and, you know, have access to things because Armand the third is blackmailing her. It's very plausible. Mm -hmm. Well, well, you know, he's now dead, so he can't blackmail her anymore, but (laughs) Well, we shall see, and I want to thank both of you so much for joining me to discuss Hawkeye. If listeners want to hear more of you, as they should, please remind them where they oh. can find you and your work. We're weekly. We're on together. We're both on the Vox Popcast, V-O-X-P-O-P-C-A-S-T, uh, where we talk about, oh, gosh, I guess, um, I guess our most recent show... Um, depending on when, okay, basically thinking about when schedules work. Our most recent show is about, um, about sex in movies and TV shows and stuff. So, you know, that's, was it, that was interesting, right? (laughs) Um, and then we, you know, we, we'll, we'll do ones about, about, you know, what are some of our shows we've had stuff, we've had a lot of stuff about Marvel shows yeah but we've done stuff on one of my favorite shows ever is the american girl dolls episode which i knew nothing about. lots of fascinating stuff lots of fascinating topics about pop culture uh and you know if you if you like superheroes we also to tie it back to our most recent episode we did do about an episode about superheroes and sex and uh upcoming we will be talking more about hawkeye on our own show because i haven't i've decided to include it unilaterally in our Christmas special. Um, All right. And in, in hopes that maybe Wayne will decide to hop on <laughs> over. <laughs> Without watching Christmas, uh, Princess yeah. Witch. We're, we're going to be. Prince Witch. <laughs> yeah, watch Princess Witch. Yeah. Oh, it's on my yeah. list for sure. We'll be. Yeah, Princess, we'll be cinematic yeah, universe. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. We, we're going to be answering the age old question, which is more complicated and interesting. The Marvel cinematic universe or the Netflix Christmas movie cinema universe <laughs> which is a thing it's totally yes. a thing it's so yeah funny. it's totally a thing oh there's a great cameo from the christmas prince series in the new princess switch three Ooh. movie map okay i haven't watched it yet so that, that yeah. might be tonight okay awesome yeah, this is, yeah. <laughs> i'm learning so much already i can't wait to hear that episode <laughs> well Mav, Hannah, again, thank you so much. I will make sure that I have links to all of the Vox podcast happenings in the show notes. And looking forward to chatting with you guys offline about where Hawkeye takes us for the rest of the season and hopefully chatting with you again on the mic sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. 
Yes, thank you so much. This was so much fun. If you enjoyed this discussion about episode two of Hawkeye, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can hear Mav and Hannah on the Vox Popcast and find them at voxpopcast.com. Artwork by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at D-E-L-T-A dot M-U-S-H on Instagram and music by Demetra Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening and stay tuned next week for a deep dive into the big ideas of episode three of Hawkeye.